For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Sam Amick, who covers the NBA for The Athletic, about the top storylines as we enter the back half of the NBA season, and really less than half. It's about 24 games remaining for a lot of these teams. The Warriors still sitting in second place behind the Suns, but the Suns have lost Chris Paul. The Memphis Grizzlies are hot on their heels. We've got to talk about who's going to be the number one seed in the top team in the Eastern Conference. All things we can talk about with Sam Amick, who joins me next. Today is Friday, February 25th. Pleasure welcome for the first time to the Update Podcast, Sam Amick. He covers the NBA for The Athletic. Lots of good storylines in the second half for the NBA League that is driven by drama and storylines. Sam, how was uh, how was All-Star Weekend in Cleveland, and, and how you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Adam, doing great. Thank you for having me. All-Star Weekend was good. Uh, as a West Coast dude, not loving the chill and the incredible cold that was there on the front end of the weekend. It got a little nicer on the back end. A little bit like the, the event itself, right? Like the game was fun. Saturday night was a little rough. Overall, good, though. It was the first time, personally, that I'd been there in four years, since L.A. I, I chose to not go to a couple. Then, I've cut, you know, of course, the pandemic hits and didn't go to Atlanta. So, you know, we're not back to normal by any means, but it was really nice to, to be around people at a, an event like that. You know, it's cool about, about this past one, the 75th anniversary of the NBA. Basketball and the NBA in general feel like such a young sport, right? And, and I think Adam Silver hit on this and saying, like, we get Bill Russell out there. He's our, our Babe Ruth is what he was saying. I kind of look at Wilt Chamberlain. Is that kind of mythical Babe Ruth case? Holding up the, the piece of paper that had 100 on it, right? That's the only record we have of that. Did you feel the romance? Did you did you love the, the halftime show? I know it was like an hour and a half long, it felt like, at the All-Star game. But how would you take in the, the history and the romance of that? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, as somebody who's covered the league for a long time, you know, you interact with some of the legends individually from time to time, but it was a blast to see them all in the same space. If you even get outside the arena, you go to the hotel, I think a lot of the legends were staying at the same hotel where the media stayed. You know, I get on the elevator before the All-Star game, and we got Kevin McHale, we got Bill Walton on the elevator, and they're kind of busting each other's chops and having fun. Kevin had actually worn the wrong jacket and Bill's giving him <laughs> a hard time. And, and to have them all in one space was neat. You know, I saw on social media this morning a clip of Damian Lillard talking about how he had never even met Michael Jordan, which really struck out, you know, struck me. You know, and then you saw LeBron's moment with MJ. So what's cool is that you sometimes in the media are probably guilty of forgetting that it starts with the game. It starts with the art of the game and the history of the game. And then you get reminded when all these individuals who are so great at what they do are in the same space, just how real and genuine that is, because they're all looking around. LeBron suddenly is a 12-year-old again. You know, same thing with so many other guys. So for me, that was probably the coolest part. It's cool, man. And you get guys that are so young. You think about guys like Devin Booker who got to play, you know, against Kobe and have a relationship with Kobe from the first day he steps into the league to Kobe's end of his career. And in thinking about Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns, maybe that's a good place to jump off. Chris Paul, find out he's got the avulsion fracture, the broken thumb. He then played in the All-Star game, which was just bizarre. Honestly, I mean, obviously, Monty Williams could sort of maneuver that. But is there a chance that because this is a bone break and Chris Paul's going to be off his legs for the next six to eight weeks with the playoffs starting in seven, is it an outrageous thing to think that for the longevity of his health in the playoffs, this could be beneficial and, and work as a, a sort of rest for him? No, I could see that. I mean, Devin Booker made that point. Now, he's probably just trying to put a good spin on it and look for positives, but I think it is fair to think that that could be how this pans out. And if you're going to lose a guy of Chris Paul's magnitude, then better to have a team like theirs 
that has its formula already figured out. They're not they weren't going to spend the next of this or the rest of the season, you know, working on their chemistry. This team has been dominant and it's going to be hard to continue to win games at that level without him, but I do trust that when he's back, they can pick up where they left off. Plus, you know, Devin, as long as he's been doing this at a high level, sometimes we're already forgetting. He literally had never been to the playoffs until last year. I think the chance for him to lead, the chance for him to grow you know, in this stage where now they are a contender. He hasn't really had that before. Maybe, you know, that comes with some benefits. I'm dying to see a lot of this stuff in terms of storylines that we're going to get into, but the Suns in particular, you know, you got the Warriors coming out. Draymond Green says he thinks they're the favorites, and they've got kind of their own jostling in the West for that position. So uh, a lot to get into, but I think the Suns are going to be fine long-term, and, uh, and, and we'll see where that goes. As far as like the known commodities in the NBA playoff picture, I think the Bucks are the team that you look at and you go, okay, we've seen that team compete. They've got an MVP. We saw Giannis win a title last year and go for 50 in game six in a series clinching game. But the Suns, to me, look like even if Chris Paul's not there at the back end of this season and, and isn't there till the playoffs start, they're built to win. And, and it's what's funny about them is they're built sort of like a, a, a 90s or an early 2000s NBA team where they've got the veteran point guard who's a great distributor. They've got the shooting guard as a scorer. They've got a good wing defender. They've got a big man who can run the floor and protect the rim they're built sort of like a team from 15 years ago yet they're one of the best teams not the best team in basketball right now at 48 and 10 that's what i mean they've got the formula they're gunning for one thing they're not gunning for the top spot in the west it would be nice they probably still get it i think they're six up on the warriors right yep. now they got a, a nice little cushion so yeah i don't have any long-term concerns at all about the suns who poses the biggest threat, you think, to them? Is it the Warriors? Because the Suns, I, the great thing about them going to that same theory that they're kind of an old-school team is they'll go for two. They don't care about shooting the mid-range. They don't care about attacking the basket. They don't have to get into the three-point shootout. I think the Warriors can be a problem if they make threes, and the Suns can do it, but but maybe not as, as high of a clip that the Warriors can. Who, who do you think poses the biggest threat to them? Yeah, to me, it's Golden State. Now, I got to check myself a little bit. I've covered the Warriors so closely for so many years that there are times when I got to make sure you know that I step outside of – that Warriors bubble, meaning when you cover them for five straight finals, you can't help but have this mentality <laughs> that they've got something different than everybody else. This is obviously not the same exact team, but we have a bunch of usual suspects from those teams. And so I told somebody recently, I said, if you ask me Warriors versus Suns in a West Finals, if they're both healthy, I'm probably going Warriors. Now, what's that kind of strange about that statement is if you also asked me Phoenix against everybody in the East – I'm probably picking Phoenix. You know what I mean? I just happen to think that the Warriors, with the history between Steph Curry and Chris Paul, Draymond being Draymond, Clay being back, the way they've evolved, you know, with the Juan Toscano Andersons and the Jordan Pools and Wiseman possibly coming back here pretty soon, the role players on that team, the way they've grown. I think the Warriors are the biggest problem for the Suns with Memphis kind of one and one A. Uh, I love, obviously, how the Grizzlies compete you know John Morant and his whole line about crawling up the chimney to get all the smoke you know those boys do not care what is on your resume they're coming for you right now and we saw that in the play-in tournament last year when they knocked off the Warriors and they're showing it all season long right now too I can't remember exactly the line he used. He says, like, it goes down in the M, or we run hard in the M, or something like that, M meaning, meaning Memphis. Memphis Grizzlies, I was thinking, you know, midway through the year, they were maybe a year away from, from being a, a real title contender. They're a team that I could see going to the Western Conference Finals and causing problems for teams because of what you just said. Devin Booker's first appearance in the playoffs was last year. I think Memphis last year was the youngest team to make the playoffs since, like, the Kevin Durant, Russ Westbrook, OKC Thunder had done it. John Morant doesn't know any better. He doesn't know he's not supposed to be there. In his swagger, his confidence, whatever you 
you want to call it, it's just through the roof. And it's Dylan yeah. Brooks, it's the rest of that crew. And it, a quick, funny side story, at All-Star Weekend, I was going to get a little bit of food before the All-Star game, and I look up and I see a dude who looks like an everyman, but he also looks familiar, kind of big burly guy, white guy, big beard. And I'm going, man, I'll be darned, that's Taylor Jenkins in the middle of a crowd of NBA fans, and nobody's <laughs> bothering him because they have no idea who he is. Right. The Grizzlies, with Taylor probably as the poster boy, have mostly done this just with anonymity, and they're coming out of nowhere. But they're dangerous. You know, they're legit. And I'm not going to give up on Utah either. I know we, yeah. we are certainly talking a lot about their locker room, their chemistry, their pieces. Donovan Mitchell obviously is, is sick at the moment. But the Jazz are still potent, and I think, in that conversation. Yeah, and you got a guy like Mitchell who can go get a bucket whenever he wants. You got a, a Rudy Gobert is a great rim protector. They can shoot it from outside too. They're uh, certainly dangerous when you get into a seven-game series. Let's go Eastern Conference here briefly. Lots of talk about who wins the Harden and Ben Simmons trade. I don't really care as much about that. I was talking storylines, and I don't want to say it's a bummer. The, the game has been so great. I was talking to Dave DeFore last week about this and saying the storylines have been not as great as we've had in the past. We thought the Lakers were going to be a great one, and then they're kind of a stinker, and Russell Westbrook's not all that good. Uh, you had the Ben Simmons stuff, but it wasn't exciting to talk about him sitting out. We've got like real off-court drama now where a big trade goes down and James Harden gets shipped out of Brooklyn. I guess I'm more interested in what went wrong. They were 13-3 and when all three of those guys played together, Harden, Kyrie, and KD, but what soured in Brooklyn enough to, to make James Harden want out and to make Kevin Durant have that decision to get James Harden out of the lineup? Yeah, I mean, to me, it starts with Kyrie's decision not to take the shot, not to get vaccinated, and I always kind of preface it you know, we talk sports. I, I don't care to analyze the vaccine debate and the discussion, but you cannot argue the reality that Kyrie's choice made him a halftime employee. In my opinion, James, at that point, started looking around going, wait a minute, I came to Brooklyn. I pushed my way to Brooklyn. Despite what he says, he pushed his way to Brooklyn, not Philly. And I wanted to win a chip because I'm hungry. And I'm one of those guys that is now on the short list of all-time greats who have never won a championship. So he's trying to fix that. And then when you look up and you realize that, all right, Kevin's already got a couple. And so I'm not saying by any means that James questioned how hungry Kevin was, but it does matter. You already have a championship. Kyrie already had one. And then, you know, it's just not what you thought it was going to be. I think it starts there. Then you talk X's and O's. You talk style of play where Steve Nash was trying to encourage, you know, kind of more of an egalitarian ball movement type system with the group. And James, a lot of times, would play like James. This is where you see guys, whether it's Russell Westbrook, James Harden, you can say what you want about how you are planning to adjust on a new team, you're planning to change, but the human mind is tricky, right? Because if you spend all those years in Houston playing a certain kind of way, that's some tough programming to break. And I think partly that's what was happening in Brooklyn too. And we knew that might be a problem when you've got two you know, ball-dominant, high-usage guys and James Harden and Kyrie Irving, the fit was somewhat in question. But, uh, you know, we've never seen a team like that that could have been so dominant, that had such a short window. Like you said, it was a good record when they were together. But, uh, you know, what might have been? We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. The Ben Simmons edition, I think it's a positive one for them. You know he's not going to take a shot. It's going to be KD or Kyrie at the end of a game. You don't have to worry about a, a third guy maybe hawking the ball uh, there at the end. I also think for Philadelphia, and I'll ask you this, I guess, straight up, did it make them a, a better title contender in your mind? I think the exit of Seth Curry is a huge one, but I imagine they're going to run some, some pretty effective pick and rolls with them beating James Harden, too. I think so, yeah, because you had a ceiling on as great as Joel Embiid has been all year long, and as much fun as it's been to watch him unleashed in the kind of way that he's really never been at this level nobody 
thought they would be a championship team if he didn't get some help. You know, you have Ben Simmons obviously creating a huge hole just by not playing. And James, we you know, we haven't been able to see the fit yet. And it does, I think, have, you know, it's kind of nuances and, and flaws that you can nitpick about. But it's going to be pretty damn good. you got two guys who are MVP caliber. And you have a coach in Doc Rivers who's done a really nice job this year. You know, Doc gets a lot of flack. You know, had a lot of tough times in the playoffs. But this group had a massive distraction in front of it. And he got people focused. They compartmentalized the Ben Simmons stuff all the way through. But now you talk about a challenge. Getting James there physically, conditioning-wise, from a seriousness standpoint, and getting him to click with the big fella, where even from a locker room standpoint, I'm dying to see how does this work relationship-wise, because James Harden in Houston had Daryl Morey as his GM. Now in Philly, James Harden in Houston had Tad Brown as his CEO, who he was really close with. Tad is now the CEO of the Sixers in addition to the Devils. So James, if he comes in and, and, and acts yet again like this is the Rockets days and this is my franchise, that's just not the case. This is Joel Embiid's franchise. So that stuff, like always, will matter. But uh, they're in a good spot. I think they're for sure on that short list in the East. Yeah, I like the way they're building. Again, Doc Rivers, a championship-caliber coach. They've got championship pedigree on the roster. Uh, I think it's a dangerous team come seven-game series time. One more thought on Kevin Durant. You saw what Steph Curry did on Saturday night, in the, or excuse me, Sunday night in the All-Star game. It was unbelievable. I mean, one of the greatest All-Star performances we've ever seen. He's breaking records in the All-Star game. Does any party, and I know Kevin Durant, his grandmother, I think, passed away, and he wasn't in attendance at that game. And I don't know that he'd ever admit this, but do you think part of him in his head looks at what's going on in Golden State, sees what Steph Curry's doing, is kind of thinking to himself, what did I do here, man? What was the decision I made to get out of there? Or is he just too stubborn, you think? I think, by and large, Kevin is just a look-forward kind of guy. I'll be honest. I mean, only he knows if he ever glances backwards and thinks, you know, maybe I should have stuck around. But, you know, to me, I do, from an armchair psychologist standpoint, I do understand why he did what he did. When he came to the Warriors, I think he underestimated the love affair between Steph Curry and the fans and the fact that, it might not be fair, but it did have this sense of like, it doesn't matter how many championships you win with the Warriors, you're never going to be considered part of that group that built what they have from the beginning, because that was Steph and Clay and Draymond. And so I think some of those factors did play a part in pushing him out. And so by going to Brooklyn, you're trying to do it by your, not by yourself, you're trying to build something on your own. And you got to give him his flowers because he's played in the kind of way since he got there that is even above what he had done previously. The guy is just, you know, peerless, to be honest with you. Nobody can do what he does. This is unfortunate. If I'm him, I'm pretty frustrated with Kyrie. I don't know if he is or not, but that derailed their program. You know, James obviously getting frustrated. Now he's out the door. For Kevin, he needs to do everything he can do from a leadership standpoint to put his arms around Ben Simmons and really find a way to be a connector with Ben. You know what I mean? Like Ben has a lot on the line. If you can find a way to, you know, have Ben feel trusted and have Ben feel like this is going to be his best basketball and they can do something special together, I think that could add to Kevin's legacy because, yeah, to this point, his greatest accomplishments came with, you know, a ton of help around him. Yeah, he's one of the all-time great players. Uh, I, I sort of look at that situation there, too, and I go, with where Brooklyn is in the standings now and, and how far they can climb up when Kevin gets healthy, is it even beneficial for them to, to be the, the underdog or the lower seed in some of these matchups where if you have to go to a Game 7, you'll have Kyrie with you on the road? It's kind of a, an interesting element or wrinkle to the postseason schedule. You know, I'm not close to it, but it's certainly in the news. It just feels like we keep inching closer to New York eventually lifting those restrictions, but we'll see if that yeah. happens.
Yeah, California has, uh, has made some changes recently also. One more thought from you on the way out. Can't talk NBA and, and do a whole out, uh, back of the season outlook without talking LeBron. You know, I don't know how far the Lakers go if they can climb into that play-in tournament and, and maybe do some damage or, or cause problems for somebody. It's such a, a weird situation with that roster. I don't know how they fix it this offseason. I'm more interested in the comments he made All-Star Weekend, LeBron did, about playing with Bronny in his final season, saying no matter what happens, it ain't about the money anymore, which I thought was a, a hilarious line from LeBron, like, like he's still playing for the check at this point. But for those comments, I never take LeBron like, I don't feel like anything's on the surface. Seems like this is something he's, a message he's putting out there, a veiled comment or a statement to teams. When we get to the back end of his career, how did you read that statement from him and, and what did you make of those comments? Yeah, I mean, we could do a, an hour on LeBron's last right. 10 days and all the <laughs> passive aggressive messaging that has come from him. And, and then within all that, I'm not saying there's no substance. Does he want to play with Bronny? 100%. I mean, that's every father's dream. But it's also a way to make the Lakers feel uncertain about what is coming ahead. You know, and it's been widely reported. I wrote a column over the weekend that, you know, it's fair, I think, to connect a lot of these dots. You know, we have seen how LeBron handles his own messaging. So when he goes out of his way to compliment Sam Presti when he was asked a question about the Thunder's Josh Giddy and just decides, well, I'm going to tell the universe that Sam Presti is the best thing since sliced bread you can take that as a bit of a shot towards Rob Palenka because, of course, the Lakers did nothing at the trade deadline. You know, when he retweets the Rams uh, GM Les Snead talking about F them picks, well, the message is pretty clear. <laughs> he wishes that his GM F them picks. You know, it's LeBron knowing that he is so great and knowing that he is the type of guy who could take any franchise to the finals if given enough time that, you know, if you're not in a good place with him in terms of the way everything's functioning, he's going to let you know about it. Now, I don't know where it all goes. You know, he's got an extension this summer that he's got to resolve and then one year left on his contract. But I do think that his future with the Lakers is somewhat unstable at this point. And, and I think he's putting them on notice in terms of just how he wants things to run. Well, and then th just one more thing, the, the brawny element of this is I don't believe he projects right now necessarily as a, as a, an NBA pick i don't think he's he's a guaranteed second rounder at this point right no he's not that i kind of am not trying to make light of it i joked with somebody the other day that lebron had basically become lavar ball and then Bronny is like leangelo ball you know like you're <laughs> you're trying to get him in i mean it'll be wild Let, let's go ahead and say that this becomes a real thing he really wants to play with Bronny. it'll be wild to see how does it unfold in terms of what Bronny's real market is independent like independently versus the allure of being able to add LeBron James to your team, you know, don't be stunned if Bronny goes from, you know, 80-something projected up to uh, to the 30s, you know, because LeBron is not only going to help your team, he's going to bring you a whole lot of revenue. And so, uh, you know, that's a story for another day. I think, though, again, all that stuff wrapped in, a, in, in together has, like, almost immediate consequences right now on LeBron's Lakers situation. Be great to see him end up like Leangelo on a G League team and, and LeBron's playing for the Santa Cruz Dubs or something. You know what I mean? He's like, hey, put your money where your mouth is, LeBron. Sam, you do such a great job, man. I've covered you, or I've followed you for years, I should say, and, uh, and appreciate you having you on the podcast. And we'll try to catch up, maybe playoff time, dude. Perfect. Thanks, Adam. Be good, man.
Uh, fun conversation with Sam Amick. It is a great job covering the NBA for The Athletic. Make sure you give him a follow at Sam underscore Amick, I-C-K, on Twitter, and he'll have a bunch of good stuff coming out as we enter the final stretch of the NBA regular season. And he's right. I think the Warriors do pose a threat to the Suns. The Suns, though, to me, feel built to win this year. But as we talked about, the Bucks are probably the known commodity, the most sure thing right now. And this week, they did miss out on adding Goran Dragic. He did go to the Brooklyn Nets, so the Nets have added a little bit of support to their offense and their defense with a veteran playoff presence in Goran. Thank you to Sam Amick. Thank you to Brian Smith. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. we got a weekend ahead, and then next week we'll get back into what's going on with Major League Baseball. We can talk a little Warriors. And on Monday, we're going to talk to our guy Ted Ramey with the San Jose Earthquakes. They kicked off on Saturday night. We'll get a little Quakes preview from our guy Ramey on Monday. Until then, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you then.